Section 34 of the United States. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. The World Story, Volume 12, The United States. Edited by Eva Marsh Tappan. Section 34. The Indian Bible, 1661-1663, by Nathaniel Hawthorne. What a task would you think it, even with a long lifetime before you, were you bidden to copy every chapter and verse and word in yonder family Bible? Would not this be a heavy toil? But if the task were not to write off the English Bible, but to learn a language utterly unlike all other tongues, a language which hitherto has never been learned, except by the Indians themselves, from their mother's lips, a language never written, and the strange words of which seem inexpressible by letters, if the task were first to learn this new variety of speech, and then to translate the Bible into it, and to do it so carefully that not one idea throughout the holy book should be changed, what would induce you to undertake this toil? Yet this was what the apostle Eliot did. It was a mighty work for a man, now growing old, to take upon himself. And what earthly reward could he expect from it? None, no reward on earth. But he believed that the red men were the descendants of those lost tribes of Israel of whom history has been able to tell us nothing for thousands of years. He hoped that God had sent the English across the ocean, genteels as they were, to enlighten this benighted portion of his once chosen race, and when he should be summoned hence, he trusted to meet blessed spirits in another world whose bliss would have been earned by his patient toil in translating the word of god this hope and trust were far dearer to him than anything that earth could offer sometimes while thus at work he was visited by learned men who desired to know what literary undertaking mr elliot had in hand they, like himself, had been bred in the studious cloisters of a university and were supposed to possess all the erudition which mankind has hoarded up from age to age. Greek and Latin were as familiar to them as the babble of their childhood. Hebrew was like their mother tongue. They had grown gray in study. Their eyes were bleared with poring over print and manuscript by the light of a midnight lamp. Yet, how much had they left unlearned? Mr. Elliot would put into their hands some of the pages which he had been writing, and behold, the gray-headed men stammered over the long, strange words like a little child in his first attempts to read. Then would the apostle call to him an Indian boy, one of his scholars, and show him the manuscript 
which had so puzzled the learned Englishman. Read this, my child, would he say. These are some brethren of mine, who would fain hear the sound of thy native tongue. Then would the Indian boy cast his eyes over the mysterious page and read it so skillfully that it sounded like wild music. It seemed as if the forest leaves were singing in the ears of its auditors, and as if the roar of distant streams were poured through the young Indian's voice. Such were the sounds amid which the language of the red man had been formed, and they were still heard to echo in it. The lesson being over, Mr. Elliot would give the Indian boy an apple or a cake, and bid him leap forth into the open air which his free nature loved. The apostle was kind to children, and even shared in their sport sometimes, and when his visitors had bidden him farewell, the good man turned patiently to his toil again. No other Englishman ever understood the Indian character so well, nor possessed so great an influence over the New England tribes, as the apostle did. His advice and assistance must often have been valuable to his countrymen in their transactions with the Indians. Occasionally, perhaps, the governor and some of the counselors came to visit Mr. Elliot. Perchance they were seeking some method to circumvent the forest people. They inquired, it may be, how they could obtain possession of such and such a tract of their rich land, or they talked of making the Indians their servants, as if God had destined them for perpetual bondage to the more powerful white man. Perhaps, too, some warlike captain, dressed in his buff coat with a corselet beneath it, accompanied the governor and counselors. Laying his hand upon his sword hilt, he would declare that the only method of dealing with the red men was to meet them with the sword drawn and the musket presented. But the apostle resisted both the craft of the politician and the fierceness of the warrior treat these sons of the forest as men and brethren he would say and let us endeavor to make them christians their forefathers were of that chosen race whom god delivered from egyptian bondage perchance he has destined us to deliver the children from the more cruel bondage of ignorance and idolatry Chiefly for this end, it may be, we were directed across the ocean. When these other visitors were gone, Mr. Elliot bent himself again over the half-written page. He dared hardly relax a moment from his toil. He felt that, in the book which he was translating, there was a deep human as well as heavenly wisdom which would of itself suffice to civilize and refine the savage tribes. Let the Bible be diffused among them, and all earthly good would follow. But how slight a consideration was this, when he reflected that the eternal welfare of a whole race of men depended upon his accomplishment of the task which he had set himself. What if his hands should be palsied 
what if his mind should lose its vigor what if death should come upon him ere the work were done then must the red man wander in the dark wilderness of heathenism forever impelled by such thoughts as these he sat writing in the great chair when the pleasant summer breeze came in through his open casement and also when the fire of forest logs sent up its blaze and smoke through the broad stone chimney into the wintry air before the earliest bird sang in the morning the apostle's lamp was kindled and at midnight his weary head was not yet upon its pillow and at length leaning back in the great chair he could say to himself with a holy triumph the work is finished end of section thirty four this recording is in the public domain